Good morning. We're going to continue this morning looking at the Gospel of Luke. You'll notice in your, uh, an order, your, a note in your order sorry, uh, that this has been our summer series. And this is the last Sunday that we'll look at this series together. We've been looking at chapters 15 through 18 of Gospel of Luke. And uh, one of the things about these sections is that Jesus is on the move. This is a section of the Gospel where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and that he knows that when he arrives in Jerusalem that he will suffer and that he will die. And this morning, as we look at our passage, there's going to be two scenes. The first one, in which Jesus again predicts his death in Jerusalem. And the second scene, in which a blind man, a beggar, is healed, given sight. But not only sight, becomes one who has faith and a follower of Jesus. These scenes carry on a number of themes that we've seen earlier. And one thing in particular theme that Jesus is working and speaking and teaching about his kingdom and that this kingdom turns things upside down. One of the themes that I want us to see continue today is that Jesus is kind of changing the way that we would see things, evaluate things. And for example, that Jesus says he is the savior, he's the king, but that he will suffer and die. And also that here is a person for us to see as a model of faith, a blind beggar. Here's one who is a model of following Christ, and he is not a strong one, not a religious one, not a clean one, but he becomes a picture of what it means to be part of God's kingdom. So hopefully as we hear God's word this morning, it will be again by God's spirit that he turns in our hearts, he changes our expectations, it helps us to see in new ways, maybe for the first time or again, that Jesus and his kingdom are different than the categories of this world expects. And if we are opening our eyes, if we tune our hearts to that, it will lift us out of this world to find rest in the work of Christ for us. So let's look at our passage. This is Luke chapter 18, verse 31 through 43. You can follow in your order or in your Bible. And taking the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, Jesus said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And as Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your great love for us that by your word and through your spirit that you are 
moving us over and over again to see anew who you are and the way of your kingdom. And we pray for that today. Lord, wherever we're coming from, whatever is happening in our life, Lord, give us eyes that we might be turned upside down, that our hearts may be moved again, that we'd see not the way that the world evaluates, but that we'd see things anew in the way of Christ and the way of his kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning as we look through these, this passage, uh, I want us to have two parts to the sermon. The first part, we're going to look at these two scenes. We'll work our way through these scenes, and I want us to see that they're connected around the idea of understanding. The first scene ends with no one understanding. No one grasps what's being said. And the second scene ends with one having new vision, new eyes, and becoming a follower of Jesus. So we'll work our way through those two scenes around this idea of, of vision. And the second thing this morning we'll look at is, is how this blind man becomes a model for us. How this blind man may teach us, help us understand more about who Jesus is and what it means to be part of his kingdom. So let's start, though, just seeing this, these scenes unfold. Our passage opens with Jesus telling his followers, specifically his 12 apostles, those closest to him, what will happen to him in Jerusalem. You see, in Jerusalem, the Son of Man, a name that Jesus uses for himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles, to the pagan Romans. And he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. He'll be treated brutally and killed. But he goes on to say, but he will be raised to new life on the third day. This is the third time in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus predicts his death, that Jesus speaks directly of what will wait for him in Jerusalem. And these three predictions have common themes to them, common aspects, where Jesus speaks of betrayal, speaks of suffering, speaks of public execution, and he speaks of resurrection. Each time Jesus shares his destiny, each of these three, the Scripture says that those who hear him, the followers, even those closest to him, do not understand. They do not understand. They are not expecting the king of God's kingdom, the Christ, to suffer and to die. This is totally outside anything that they have imagined, wanted, dreamed of, or pondered They simply cannot understand it. And we know this, but we have to be careful, right, with our hindsight of knowing what unfolded in Jesus' life, that we would evaluate, how could they miss this? But we know what it's like, that when you're in the midst of something, something that later seems maybe so clear, in the moment there's a way which we cannot grasp it at all. The twelve here assume that Jesus is speaking in riddles. He's saying some kind of mysterious thing. They just don't know what it means. One day we'll figure out what this riddle means. Luke writes, they understood none of these things. They did not grasp what was said. Interesting, right after this statement of hiddenness, this lack of understanding, we're presented with another person. Right away we're told that this person is blind. He cannot see. He becomes one who might instruct us in vision and understanding. But before we look at his story, I was going to mention that I saw in the news this week, maybe you saw this if you're a sports fan or even not, but one thing that made the news was Andrew Luck, a quarterback in the NFL football league, retired suddenly 
at the age of 29. Don't worry, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about football, but one of the things that caught my eye was there was a writer in the New York Times who usually writes about culture and politics, and he wrote about a quarterback retiring. Now, Andrew Luck, if you aren't familiar, played for the Indianapolis Colts. He's a former first-round pick, kind of at the top of his profession. And as one, this author writes, he had a charmed life, a, a charmed career, only it wasn't. Andrew Luck explained the reason he retired suddenly at 29 was that he was stuck in the cycle of injury and pain and rehab, injury, pain, and rehab, but he couldn't figure out how to get out of it except to stop playing. And the author, the one that caught my attention, the title of the article was The Crucial Lesson of Andrew Luck, and he writes, I'm interested in the disparity between how Luck's fans and other observers perceived him versus the reality of what was happening. I'm interested in the disparity of how people viewed him versus the reality that was going on. As a fortune-based star with the most glamorous of jobs, I'm fascinated by the distance between public glow and private grind. We can't look at the outside of a person or add up the, the awards and success and draw a conclusion about how he or she is faring. You see, this author, this journalist, was struck by the one who was viewed as having everything. The great job, the glorious position, being successful, but in reality, he was miserable. One might say appearances can be deceiving. That what we think might be the case might not be the case at all. And we can think about that lesson in all sorts of ways. Appearances can be deceiving. We can think about that in our own life and those around us. Think about those especially who have celebrity or who are far from us with their fame. But it's also a chance to think about what Jesus has been doing in his journey to Jerusalem. Over the last couple of chapters, Jesus consistently has introduced us to person after person who serve as images of what it means to be part of his kingdom, to have faith. And consistently these images, these, I'm sorry, these individuals have been surprising. These individuals who find the experience of rest or joy or forgiveness, they are outside of the categories of religious. They're outside the categories of success. They're outside the categories of those who have things put together or know what they're supposed to do. And here it is again. Appearances can be deceiving. Outside Jericho, we are introduced to a man who had been categorized in terms of power and privilege in his society as expendable, as forgettable, one whom society has no need. And yet here we are invited to see this one that is so easily not seen that we might encounter the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus and the great crowd are approaching the city of Jericho. Jericho is only 14 miles from Jerusalem, so the journey is getting near the end. And as they walk to this city, they pass a blind man sitting by the roadside begging. And Luke doesn't tell us this man's name, but we know because in the Gospel of Mark, he also speaks of this and tells us his name, that this man is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. We don't know the details of Bartimaeus' life, his age. We don't know what happened to his eyesight. We don't know the story of his family. We don't know how he arrived at this particular location. 
But we do know that he has a prime location. The busy road connecting Jericho and Jerusalem is a good spot for a blind beggar appealing to the generosity of travelers. But even for this busy road, this day is unique. On this day, something is happening, and Bartimaeus hears it. He hears a crowd, a great crowd going by, so the blind man inquires, what is happening? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. What does the blind man do with this information? He cries out, Jesus, son of David, a title of, of royalty, king, have mercy on me. And you see what happens. Those who are in front rebuke him. Be quiet. They tell him to be silent. Go back to being invisible. A large crowd is gathered around Jesus, and we can only guess all the different reasons why, the different priorities, the different hopes, the different fascinations that have brought them to this point. But they, in this moment, at least some of them, conclude that there is no time nor interest in the interruptions of Bartimaeus. They have concluded that this man and his situation do not or should not concern Jesus who was on his way. They judge God's interest to be elsewhere. And for a moment, it's worth us even thinking about our own experiences and asking whether we have felt something similar to that in our life. Have you ever felt such dismissal? Being told to be quiet, to be silent that the things that you might be bringing forth aren't of interest, aren't significant, especially to those who have power or who have influence. Maybe some people would have simply ignored the beggar. In this case, the crowd actually rebukes him, chastises him for thinking that Jesus, this one who is so special, would have interest in giving him attention. And it brings us to a remarkable part of the story, a courageous part. And a verse that should grab our attention for what does Bartimaeus do? Luke tells us he cried out all the more. He cried out all the more. They tell Bartimaeus to be silent, but he cries out all the more, Son of David, King, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops reminding us of an important thing, especially as we think about the call to be quiet or to be silent with our longings, that Jesus' interest, what Jesus deems important, worthy of his attention, is not the same thing as the crowd. His evaluation is not the same as those who silenced Bartimaeus. He sees and values that others, those that others would dismiss. And when the world tells us to be quiet, or even when your own heart speaks and says that you are not important or significant to the one who made you, let us remember that God's evaluation is different than the world or different even than our own hearts. And Jesus stops. Bartimaeus cries out all the more, and Jesus stops, and he commands the beggar to be brought to him. Can we picture it? The crowd, this, this mass of humanity, stumbling to a stop a path being made, the blind man brought to Jesus. And we see echoes or reflections of the passage from last week, the story in which children, infants, were be carried to Jesus. 
Like those children, this man needs help. Like them, he's brought by the hand to Jesus. Just like him, the children, they had been rebuked. They should not be coming. Same thing here. But Jesus invites him to come. The rebuke and the silencing of the crowd are lies and false actions. Jesus calls and hears him. And as they stand near to one another, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Let me see. And Jesus tells him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately Bartimaeus recovers his sight. Even more, Luke tells us that immediately this man gets up and follows Jesus with his life. And this first scene, these, this first part, is it, the first scene ends with a lack of understanding with no eyes to see, now we conclude this scene with new eyes. Eyes that lead to a life of faith. And what I want us to do as we think about that experience that Bartimaeus had is, as Jesus sees him and attends to his needs, is to ask what can Bartimaeus teach you and me about Jesus and his mission? What can this one who was so easily to overlooked or to be told to be quiet, what can he teach you and me today about who Jesus is and why he came to suffer and to die? There's two things I want us to see to think about this morning. First is that Bartimaeus invites us to see that Jesus came to bring a reversal. That Jesus came to turn things around and to change things in your life and in mine and in this world. If we go back to the opening scene where Jesus predicts his death, did you notice an interesting phrase that he uses? Jesus says he's going to Jerusalem to accomplish all, everything that is being written by the prophets. He's going to Jerusalem to accomplish everything that is written by the prophets. He's telling us, and we might not notice it right away, but that when he goes to Jerusalem, what's happening is not going to be an accident, not some random event but that Jesus is walking the path that God has set for him. That Jesus is going to fulfill God's plan as it has been revealed in the scriptures and the prophets. And this is significant because Jesus is saying that when we look at his life, we understand what God's plan and God's purposes are. Everything written by the prophets. It turns out to be that the rulers of Israel... And the rulers of the Gentiles both will reject Jesus. That the civil and the religious authorities, those who have power over the world, will deem Jesus a fool. God's plan, it turns out to be that even those who are close to Jesus, those who say they have faith, or those who are ready for the Christ to come, even those close will find that their hearts betray Jesus. For Jesus will be handed over. That even those who say they want to follow or want to do what's right, even those people need forgiveness in the depths of their being. It's not just the powers out there that call Jesus a fool, but even within, we betray as well. Everything written by the prophet turns out to be that Jesus alone, not human institution, not the temple, not human partners, that Jesus alone must face the harsh rejection, abuse, humiliation, and death that comes from the human heart and human powers. What we're seeing is that everything that the prophets write says that Jesus, when he does come, 
He must walk into the very depths of human sin, into the very depths of human evil, and even to the bottom of death. And Jesus, when he describes his death over and over again, he's inviting us to see that he will go to the very bottom, to the very depths of what is broken in us and in this world. And God's plan, God's work of salvation turns out to be that the Christ, the Messiah, who has come to rescue God's people, not only will receive harsh judgment and death, but also receive vindication from this God. Jesus will rise to new life on the third day, and in this resurrection, Jesus will set forth as the Son of God, as the Lord over all, the one who has faced your greatest enemies, your sin, the evil that has pressed upon you, and death that awaits you. He's faced all of them, and he's come out victorious, showing that he is the one who brings us hope. You see, the prophets wrote about this work that God must do on our behalf. In one place in particular, Isaiah speaks about the suffering servant who will come to rescue and redeem God's people. In order to do that, though, he must go to the depths, the depths of the very brokenness of our lives, to be despised, to be the victim of human evil and human corruption, to be betrayed by those who say they love him. He must go to the very bottom. But the story of Isaiah says that the suffering servant will do so to bring redemption and that the final word in that suffering servant's life will not be death, will not be shame or disgrace, but will be resurrection and vindication. So what we can conclude is that Jesus' death and resurrection, God's plan of how he works in your life and in this world is a plan of reversal. Jesus embodies that reversal and he gives it to us He enters our suffering down to the depths that he might lift us up to new life. And it's therefore, it's in his kingdom, he says, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The humble will be exalted and the exalted will be brought low. It's in his kingdom that privilege and blessing will be given to the least, to the little, to the one who is humble before him. And we see this in Bartimaeus, the marginal one, the one who knows his need is the one ready to receive the kingdom who has come as the suffering servant. The good news is reaching out and drawing the poor and the outcast, the one who knows that he or she is unworthy and unclean. And Jesus says that such salvation, such reversal is received by faith, that we can praise God. Think about that in your life and in mine, this reversal that God is working, Jesus going to the depths and coming back up, brings reversal for you and me that when we are told that we are insignificant, as I said before, when we, like Bartimaeus, may find a situation of brokenness in our life and told to be quiet, that no one cares, that we see in Jesus that this is not true, that God has come specifically for those who are broken to the place of their brokenness. The reversal for us is that God gives us a new status in Christ. When we have faith in Christ, a new status from sinner to righteous a new destiny from death to being part of God's family forever in salvation, a new identity lost and on our own to one who's united with Christ as his son or daughter. That's the reversal that Christ accomplishes for you. And it is a gift, not something that you contribute to, but a gift, just like the vision that was given to Bartimaeus. 
So Bartimaeus teaches us that God has come to change, to turn things upside down, to reverse it so that sinners on their own now are forgiven and righteous children of God. And the second thing that we're invited to see is that in Bartimaeus, Jesus has come to to blaze a trail of new life, a new way to evaluate how life is to be lived, a new way for life to be lived. After his encounter with Jesus, Bartimaeus has this wonderful gift of sight, a wonderful gift. And it's a chance, though, to think about for ourselves that maybe why our eyes might work, that part of the human struggle is that we are spiritually blind, spiritually callous. Part of the human problem is that we do not recognize Christ, that we do not recognize the way of the true kingdom of God. We don't recognize which paths are true life and which ones are not. And Jesus is saying through this experience we see in our passage that he has come to blaze a trail, a new path that points out how life should be lived. One author writing about this passage and this kind of experience, this author writes, sometimes when I find it hard to pray, when faith, hope, and love are threatened to dry up, maybe you can relate to that at times, He writes, I zero in on a handful of desperate pleas from a handful of desperate people who have come across Jesus. I hate a tax collector, which we heard about in Luke a few weeks ago. I hate a tax collector in the temple, for example, crying out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or thoroughly confused Peter, after Jesus has spoken strange words about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, Jesus asks Peter if he too will leave. Peter replies, Lord, to whom shall I go? You alone have words of eternal life. Or there's a leper on the hillside. Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And there's the blind beggar on the road to Jericho who cries out, I want to see. I want to see. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, to whom else shall I go? You alone have words of life. If you are willing, you can make me clean, and Lord, I want to see. Maybe those prayers resonate with you. And Jesus isn't addressing in his mission the fact that so often you and I cannot see. We cannot see the difference between what is true and false, what path will bring us life, and what path will break us. See, Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus, son of David. It's the first place after Jesus' birth in which he receives this special title, the title of the Davidic king who will come to rescue God's people. Son of David, Bartimaeus announces. He's the one who will come as the king and lift up God's people. And here we find out that the king will do so by giving his very life. Life will come through Jesus' death. And that paradox is the path that he is blazing. Do you see this? That life comes through death. The life of the world comes through the death of the Messiah. But our new life, our walking with him, our sanctification, our new identity, living out as children of God, comes when we confess our need. And it comes when we die to ourselves When we confess, I don't have the resources to save myself, or the path is not simply grasping whatever I want whenever I want it. The path, Jesus says, is actually when we die to ourselves. 
the path of serving, of loving, of seeing ourselves as one who belongs to God. Those ways will bring you life, will walk you in a path that is good and true. Christ crucified gives us new eyes, new understanding, a new way to evaluate. The path of self-glorification, the path of being better than others, the path of having it all or having the right appearance, reputation, those paths are false. And they will not lead you to where you want to be. But Jesus blazes a different path saying when he emptied himself, when he followed the will of his Father, it led him to life, life even in the face of rejection from the world. And he invites us as the Christian community to walk with him, to walk as an alternative community, an alternative way of being in this world where we see those that others do not see, where we listen to those that others would rebuke, where we love even when it costs, when we see our possessions and our gifts not just as something for ourselves, but as means to love God and love our neighbors. In doing this, we don't earn some kind of reputation with God, but rather we're walking the path that Jesus has taught us to walk. Bartimaeus teaches us these things not because he has power in himself, but he points us to the one who has rescued him. That Jesus has come to reverse our condition, to give us new hope, new identities. He's come to blaze a path for us to walk with him as his people. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are gracious to us. For, Lord, you see us in our sin and our need, but you have drawn near to us. Even when others have told us that we do not matter or our voices are insignificant, Lord, that you delight in hearing and drawing near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.